I will never be alone. I feel a bit that way. My entire life group is sitting in the front row. <laughs> they, they've been well aware of the, of the battle that I've had to prepare the message today because, as Kim says, I've had baby head for the last 10 days <laughs> because of the safe arrival of our new granddaughter, Aurora. <laughs> just shall we join in prayer for a moment and I just pray, Lord, that, that you will... Open the ears of my family here at this church and that you will give me your words and allow me to speak what you have put on my heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For anybody who is new, we've been working through the book of Exodus. In Exodus, the first chapter is about the first 40 years of Moses' life where he thought he was somebody. He was trying to think he was somebody. The second chapter is about his second 40 years when he suddenly realised that he was nobody. And then the rest of Exodus is about what God can do with a nobody in this last 40 years. Let's just go through. Because previously in Exodus... We learnt in week one that God is our provider. Andrew taught us that everything we learned about the children of Israel, they were under oppression and they were crying out to God and they just needed somebody to come along and save them. The leadership of Israel had forgotten all about Joseph and what Joseph had done for their country. And so they were putting the people under oppression. They turned them into slaves. We learnt that everything good comes from God. God is a provider and God won't let sin go unpunished. Remember, sometimes God blesses us with something, but he is our saviour, not the things he blesses us with the important point to take away from that first message. In week two, we were taught that God won't forget his promises. This is Exodus 2. And D opened with a challenge for us to find eight ways in which God, oh, sorry, Moses and Jesus were similar. Now I sat down and I thought, well, I can think of Three, both were threatened by a tyrant who was wanting to kill baby boys. Both spent time in Egypt. Both spent times in the wilderness before the beginning of their ministry. Moses for 40 years and Jesus for 40 days. Then I started to struggle and discuss this with family and Matthew said, well, both were God's appointed mediator between God and man. And Moses received the law of God, whereas Jesus was the fulfilment of the law. I said, great. So I said to Dee, I've got five. I said, the only ones that I can come up with now are they both had five letters in their name, both ended in S. <laughs> and she, she said, no, that's not good enough. <laughs> Dee's message was that God won't forget his promises, even though it takes... 400 years. 
God won't forget his promises. Remember, as many mistakes as we may have made, God can use us. Exodus 3 and 4 was week 3. God knows what we can do. And Andrew spoke to us about Moses seeing that burning bush, the bush that wasn't consumed. And he gave him incredible powers. He said, use your staff. You can show Pharaoh. I want you to go out and I want you to show Pharaoh what can be done. And there are three points that Andrew made to us. We need to listen when God speaks. Yahweh is his name and it's not about us. And God is concerned for us. God knows what we can do. Remember, we can struggle with the things that we are called to do, but God is the one who is working through us. In week four, we looked at chapters five and six. And this is where Pharaoh is getting angry with Moses for his harping at him about letting my people go. And so he says, right, I'm going to make it harder for you. You can make bricks and we're not going to provide the straw. And so the people of Israel are getting distressed. They can't cope with this. They're required to make the same amount of bricks, more bricks, but without having the straw provided for them. They have to get it themselves. God chose... (coughs) Sorry. So they were getting increasingly depressed. We learnt that opposition doesn't mean that you've missed God's call. We learnt that Satan's plan is to divide God's people. We exhorted not to become critics. And even though, even through your difficulties, God is at work. Last week, we learnt that God is righteous. Righteous, we learnt about God's righteous judgment. This was the time of the plagues. This was the time when Moses <coughs> was harping on, continuing to teach, teach Pharaoh that God is the almighty God. And he was failing all the time because God was hardening Pharaoh's heart. And every plague that came along didn't touch Pharaoh's heart. With every calling, Andrew said, comes a weight, a weight of responsibility. And asked, what is our calling? With every calling, there is a time of preparation. And God says, we have the power. The final plague was the plague of the firstborn. When the children of God were chosen to put the paint, the blood, over the doors so that these were to be signposts for the angel of death that came through. But we are called to be signposts as well. Remember, God wants us to be used as signposts to his power, but we are only to enter through into his power through his blood. So come to the message for today. God is our rock. Now people think of rocks as being something solid. 
unbreakable. To call a person a rock means that that person is somebody who can be relied on, somebody who is always there to support you, somebody you can trust. Everybody needs to have a rock in their life. My rock is Lavella, my wife. She's been there at times of bereavement, times of illness, times of redundancy and through work. She's been beside me all the time. The Bible refers to a rock as meaning something that is unbreakable. For Christians, the rock is someone that we can always depend on and we can turn to God and God is our rock. The beginning of Exodus in chapter 13, we find Moses leading his people away from the oppression, away from all that was going on is in Israel. In Exodus 13, chapter 12, you are given over to the Lord for the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of the livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Redeem, redeem. We sang about redemption earlier. The donkeys were singled out not to be, not to be sacrificed, possibly because they were beasts of burden and useful. They were not considered a sacrificial animal. And of course the firstborn children were to be redeemed. Exodus goes on. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let you go. And the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals and Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. Now, the concept of being firstborn was quite prominent at that time in that culture. And it's because Israel had a special relationship with God. Israel was the rename of Jacob. And in Exodus 4.22, Moses is told to tell Pharaoh that Israel is my firstborn son. Firstborns was very significant. Firstborn was meant to be the best and always to be given to God. And a reminder to all generations that God redeemed Isaac with the lamb. So Moses is reminding people that they were to remember that they were liberated and to consecrate children. And Moses introduced the festival of unleavened bread and he wanted them to remember that 
through the blood, the signpost, the blood that was shown across that doorway, that they were released from Israel and that plague of the firstborn. We have been redeemed through Christ, as we sang earlier today. Some Bibles translate redeemed as sufficient payment. And Paul is referring to the sufficient payment for our sins, for all who believe. There's no longer a need for a blood sacrifice since Jesus came. It is through Jesus that we find our way to salvation. In Ephesians 1.7 it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. I can't read that, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it's, it's a bit yellow. The forgiveness of sins accordance with the richness of God's will. God's grace, I'm sorry. God's grace is what is required to make sons and daughters of God. All have sinned, we've all sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. But through Jesus Christ, we can find salvation. But I'm sorry, I'm losing my place here. God doesn't always do what is expected. Doesn't lead us in the way we expected him to. The children of Israel were following a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And as they took off for the promised land, they could have followed the way more travelled, going up through, round the, round, the, round the Red Sea, the Great Sea. They could have gone that way, but the problem was that this was plenty of Egyptian soldiers, outposts, protecting them. And so God's pillar of fire took them another way. Took them via the desert route. The Via Maris, the way of the sea, was just not the way for them to go. But of course, going that way, the going got really rough. And of course, the children of Israel began to grumble. They said to Moses, Oi, way, was it because we were... There were no graves in Egypt? You brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Why didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? We would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord I will bring today. The Egyptians you see, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch your hand over the sea and divide the water so that Israel can go through the sea on dry land. You know the rest of the story. Moses held out his rod and his hand and the sea parted and they crossed on dry land. Wide enough for two million people plus wives and children and possessions and livestock to pass through. And once they were through, the Egyptians pursued them and the waves came crashing in and they were not seen again. In Exodus 40, verses 30 to 31, it says, That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And then the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Now the fickle Egyptians began to dance and sing and praise God. And most of chapter 15, they're singing praises. I will sing to the Lord for he is to be highly exalted, they sang. And interspersed with all of this praise is talk about the death and destruction and the people lying dead and it's a pretty macabre sort of chapter, chapter 15. But it's full of the praises of the people. But they travelled for three days. Now three days in the desert without water is pretty tough going. And the scientists tell us that a human being can't last for more than three days so you can understand why they started to grumble again. And so they came to the waters of Mara. And when they came to drink that water, they found it was bitter. And Moses was led to a branch that he threw into the, into the, the waters. And the waters became sweet. And in, chapter, in chapter 15, verse 26, it says, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes... If you pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees, I will not bring on you the diseases brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. It seems that this water had a healing effect on people and any of the parasites or whatever it was that was getting into their systems from the time in Egypt was healed by the drinking of these waters. So God does not always do what we expected. Don't be afraid. Stand firm in your faith. God can provide in ways that you never would have dreamed of. And listen carefully to God's will. My third point is that God is our rock. The wandering in the wilderness continued for them. Again, they found, had difficulty finding water and they began to grumble to Moses. And so often, if we, want to, if we are in difficulty, we want to find somebody to blame for the situation that we find ourselves in. Now the people should have thought, we're in a desert. It's not surprising that there's not much water here. We should look to God. 
You remember back when they were oppressed that they were grumbling to God, they were crying out to God, please send us someone to help and God sent them Moses. But this time they had Moses but they were out there and they were grumbling to God again. So Moses once again had to set them them example. In Exodus 17 verses 3 to 6 the Bible tells us but the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses and they said why did you bring us out of Egypt and make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with them some of the elders of Israel and take your hand and your staff and the the staff you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike that rock and the water will come out and the people can drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. This attitude amongst the children of Israel was their greatest sin. It's in times of difficulty that the children of Israel, directly or indirectly, doubted the loving presence of God and God's care for them. One of the great traditions that Moses introduced later was an annual festival when Israel remembered the provisions of God in the wilderness. It was called the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is a seven-day feast where they remembered their wanderings. They remembered, remembered how God provided them manna. They had food for 40 years. They had water. And it was the Feast of Tabernacles. And later we find Jesus attending that, that very festival. And in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, we read, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water flow from his heart. When Jesus said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to anyone who believed in him. Now the living water Jesus spoke about was the Holy Spirit. And it's really no less of a miracle that God can bring love and power of the Holy Spirit out of our hearts, which can be just as hard as Pharaoh's, or for the Israelites for that matter. The concept of God being a rock appears more than 140 times in the Bible. Jesus told a parable about a rock. In Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, it says this, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. It did not fall because its foundation 
was on a rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains come down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Both of these men sat at the feet of Jesus. Both of these men heard from the greatest teacher there ever was. Both of these men had the opportunity to learn what Jesus wanted in their lives. This is some serious storm that Jesus is talking about, perhaps of cyclonic velocity. But the house on the rock stood firm. The house on sand fell. Sam's got a punch toy in her office. It's about five foot tall, 152 centimetres. It's got words like kick, punch, smash on it. And I imagine that Sam, when she's got some stress or something, likes to give this a whack and it stays down. And if, if she wants to get some more stress out, she can kick it while it's down. In the world we live in today, outside of this place, we're under constant pressure. There's a danger of downgrading the word of God with human wisdom. It's so easy for good things to be taken beyond the boundaries of God's will and this begins to erode the rock and therefore that rock starts to become sand so that when we get a knock we go down and it's hard to get back up. I've been preparing this message for about four or five weeks now. Two weeks ago Peter Mickelson came to this church and he spoke about some of the good things that are in our lives that can become sin. And I, I said to Lavella, I said, Peter's talking about what I was going to talk about. Perhaps I'd better rethink the end of my message. And she said, no. She said, obviously, God wants to hear it. And as I said before, we need to listen. Listen to what God's saying to us. One of the things that Peter said to us was from Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds in the glory of God. Peter reminded us that how many of these good things can be seen of as wrong. We can be like a frog in hot water. Satan is got a tactic. 
and has gradually to turn up the heat of temptation so that we just don't notice that we're approaching the boundary of God's will and jump out in time. Peter Mickelson talked about how sometimes the good things that we have in life can be turned to sin. The one he cited was enjoyment of food. It become gluttony. I had a longer list. Righteous anger can become rage and bad temper. Physical rest that can become laziness. Self-care can become selfishness. Self-respect can become conceit. Communication can become gossip. Carefulness can become fear. Cautiousness can become unbelief. Judgment can become criticism. Loving kindness can become overprotection. You can get these punching bags like Sam's that have got a base in them, a solid base, a foundation, so that when you knock it down, it bounces right back up. No matter hard, how hard you hit it or how often you hit it, down it goes, bing, up it comes. Why? Because it has a strong foundation. I'd like to look at the parable of the house built on the rock. Different way to the way we're used to looking at it or we grew up as children looking at it. Always as children we learn about the song about the rains coming down, the floods coming up and the house falling down. But when Jesus was talking about everyone who hears these words of mine, he was talking about his word, that rock, that foundation. Let's not look at the house as a building, but as a family. I am the head of the house of David, my family. The house of Andrew, Nick, Fred, David, in this front row. If you build your house on the rock, you've got a strong foundation. Let's go further. This is the house of God. We come to church, we come to church to have worship. We come to church to hear the word. We come to church to be built on, to have the food of God, which is his word, come into our lives so that we are strengthened, so that we are strong, so that we can stop the erosion that is coming to us as those good deeds, good things that we're doing, drift away and become sand. I was challenged last month when I was working through the, uh, the gospel armour of God through my Bible studying time. And I had a new revelation about the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17 says, 
and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, when I was a younger person, and I think when my children were growing up, they used to talk about the Bible as your sword. But the revelation came to me from what Neil Anderson, the writer of this devotion, had to say. He said, The word of God is the only offensive weapon mentioned in the armour, the list of armour. Since Rema, instead of Logos, was used for the word, Paul is referring to the spoken word of God. We are to defend ourselves against evil by speaking aloud the word of God. Church, we live in a world that is dying. Our moral compass is way off. We live in a world where it's okay to mock a prime minister who goes to church every Sunday and raises his hands in worship. But it's not okay to comment about sexual orientation when you get ostracised or lose your job. Peter Mickelson mentioned Margaret Court and, and Israel Folau. Reality television <laughs> shows us something that we would not consider a reality in any way about the way people behave. And so we need to be willing to speak out the word. It's so easy to be turned away from God and God's desire for our lives. We need to make a conscious decision to be more like Jesus. To be the light in this world as we were praying before the service. Look, it's not our job to dispel darkness. Just turn on the light and to be speaking out his word. We need to ensure that our house, our family, our home, this place is built on the rock of Jesus, the rock which is God's plan for our lives. We need to be like Joshua. Now, spoiler alert, Joshua was the man who actually led the children of Israel into the promised land, not Moses. We find that out. We don't find that out in Exodus, so you'll have to read ahead to Numbers and Deuteronomy and find out about that. But ironically, Moses didn't lead the people into Israel because he struck a rock to get water. Look it up. Joshua, in Joshua 25, verse 15, said... But if serving the Lord, I changed the version, I'm sorry, from what I've written down here. And if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers who served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Can we all join? Are we willing to say that for our own families? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God is our rock. Jesus is our rock, the source of the living waters, the Holy Spirit. Don't let the good things in life become excessive so that they become sin. And build your house on the rock. Always strive to be more like Jesus. Now I'm going to ask the band to come and we're going to sing the song that we sang last week more like Jesus. And again, this is one of those moments where I'd asked Rachel to prepare this song for this, the end of this message and God touched Andrew's message last week and God, Andrew asked for this same song. And I think it's a message that we need to be thinking of often, all the time. We need to be seeking to be more like Jesus. Jesus came to this world that he created. He traded his cross for a crown, but his innocent life paid the cost. If we want to be more like Jesus, it means having less of ourselves, giving away our own desires, our own wills, so that we can be more like him. Because the world is dying, the world out there is dying. And the only way it's going to know is if we're willing to tell them, if we're willing to take that word of God, know that word of God, and be willing to tell them. Thanks, band.